trading in futures products entails significant risk of loss, which must be understood prior to trading and may not be appropriate for all investors. Please contact your account representative for more information on these risks. Past performance is not indicative of future results. If you like grain markets and other stuff, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Grain Markets and Other Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Joe Baklovic. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Grain Markets and Other Stuff Podcast. Thank you for joining me. It is Tuesday, September 8th. I'm speaking here uh, about mid-morning. We've got just kind of a mixed trade in the grain markets. Uh, A lot more excitement overnight than we had here in the day session. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Uh, Remember, if you have not already subscribed to the podcast, go on whichever podcast app you use, whether it be Apple or Google or Spotify. Um, There's a whole bunch of different podcast apps out there. Make sure you find Grain Markets and other stuff. Hit that subscribe button. You will be made aware when new content is available. I hope everybody had a nice three-day weekend. I did some uh, fishing on Saturday, uh, chased my kids around the rest of the weekend, uh, had some fun back to the grind here today. Have a few pieces of news that I'd like to cover before I get into this uh, uh, bull versus bear conversation in regard to the corn market. Um, I want to talk about this China story and cotton in particular. So there was a story here that was originally uh, uh, printed in the New York Times, and uh, Bloomberg had a piece on it, Reuters had a piece on it later. Uh, this morning. And essentially what the story suggests is that the U.S. is going to ban cotton imports from a few different companies in China. And this uh, off the bat to me immediately kind of feels like a step in the wrong direction when it comes to U.S.-China trade relations, which have otherwise been headed in the right direction, I guess you could say, when you look at the recent soybean sales, you look at the corn sales, you look at the pork sales, you look at at all these different factors. But um, this is a story that I don't know if it means anything right now, but it could mean something uh, in the not-so-distant future, uh, depending on how exactly it plays out. I'm, I'm not sure what uh, the Trump administration's goal is with this. Um, I'm not sure if this will actually come to fruition. But the last thing that we need now, um, you know, before any of these big sales of, of soybeans, corn, whatever, before any of these are shipped, the last thing we need is a deterioration <clears throat> in, in the relationship with China. So that's a story that's interesting. I don't know a lot of details about it. I don't know if anybody else does either. But it's something that we've got to keep an eye on. Uh, Export sales uh, continue to be a hot topic. We had some more sales reported to China uh, just this morning. Uh, 400,000 metric tons of beans to China, another 264 to China. And then we sold some corn to an unknown destination. So uh, soybean demand continues to be very, very strong, both on the export front and on the uh, domestic processing front. So we've really got nothing but good news in regard to the soybean market. Uh, When do we get to a point where this good news has been discounted. Uh, That is the million dollar question at this point. The US dollar is up sharply today, and and that may be a factor that has pressured some of these commodities here, at least to start the week. We saw the the energies are trading sharply lower as I speak here. this morning, the crude oil is down $3. That's one of the bigger uh, downward moves we've seen here as of late. But the uh, gold market bounced back, uh, silver bounced back from the lows. I don't know that the grains were affected a, a ton by this, maybe the wheat a little bit, but uh, that, that dollar posted some fresh two-year lows just last week, I think. And uh, we are sharply higher here today. So we'll see if this is a trend that continues. There was a lot of chatter about this Brexit situation. There's been some back and forth between Great Britain and the EU and how exactly they're going to 
to uh, put this this deal together. Um, so there's there's some tensions and some escalation and tensions. And and remember that the dollar index, the version that everybody follows that you hear talked about on the news, it is most heavily weighted versus the euro. So if you see a big move in the euro currency, you're going to see the opposite big move uh, in the dollar index to a significant extent. So you've got a lower euro and of course a higher dollar today. We have a USDA report on Friday. Um, I was looking through the pre-report estimates, and there's some interesting stuff here. So, the corn yield, uh, US, or traders in on average, according to these uh, newswire polls, they think that the corn yield will go from 181.8 last month down to 178.3 this month. So we're going to a situation where we had, we thought we had a record corn yield nationally, and now we're not even trend. Uh, we're also uh, looking for harvested acreage to come down by about half a million. And that's, again, according to a poll of analysts. When you look at soybeans, uh, trade is also looking for a reduction in the yield number. 53.3 was the August uh, yield number nationally. The trade expects a number near 51.8. Um, traders also looking for about 100,000 off of harvested acreage. So I, w- I would venture to say that a great deal of of the story surrounding uh, lighter U.S. corn and soybean crops has probably been baked into the market at this point. We've had several weeks to digest this story, digest the idea that uh, the crops are not quite what we thought they were. Uh, they, I don't think they're a disaster by any means. Um, I think they're actually still pretty good as a whole. But you've got some some areas that are are very very problematic. And um, that's the deal here. So the report on on uh, Friday could be a big market mover. Certainly, when you look at the carryout estimates um, for the U.S., I don't see anything necessarily overly friendly here. I mean, even with with this big cut in corn production, the trade's still looking for a new crop corn carryout at two point four five billion bushels, which is very high. It's not bullish. That's a big picture negative item. And the soybean carryout is expected to drop, and it's supposed to go from 610 last month down to 465 this month. That's according to a poll, again, of analysts and traders. And a 465 bean carryout, yeah, it's friendlier than 610, but I'm not going to say that it's it's a runaway bull scenario Um at this point in time, but you know the trades, the trade has been wrong about these pre-report estimates in the past, and and they will be wrong again at some point in time, whether it's Friday or uh, or at another point. Okay, so I'm going to do this uh, this discussion today. Corn bull versus bear. Um, I have a customer who uh, used to tell me when talking about markets, he would say, "Okay, pretend you're a lawyer in a courtroom and you had to defend the bull case and the bear case. Which which case wins in, in this scenario?" And it's kind of an interesting way of thinking about the market. But but considering both the bullish factors and the bearish factors. Um, in a marketplace, fundamentally, uh, is sometimes an interesting exercise. And I'm going to kind of go through that exercise as I see it uh, today. So I'm going to start with the bull case, and I'm going to list you some reasons why, um, you know, one would be bullish, the corn market or friendly, the corn market. Um, The first one I would probably go with would be crop damage here in the U.S., uh, the idea that the crop is lighter than we thought it was, say, six weeks ago, um, the situation in Iowa where you've got a drought, a fairly severe drought in the western part of the state and uh, building dryness in, in the rest of the state. And that's not only confined to Iowa, that's confined, that, that, that's in a lot of areas, but uh, that, that, that area 
that pocket of Western Iowa is perhaps the best example of it. And then you had the, the wind damage, of course. And, um, that, that's a bullish item. Certainly the idea that, that the corn yield is going to drop potentially, that harvested acres will fall. Um, those, those are, are friendly items, certainly relative to the situation, say six weeks ago. Now, one uh, thing, and I'll go, this is kind of off of my bull argument, but I would say that in general, I think farmers and, and people who grow the crop sometimes pay too much attention to uh, the crop. How good is the crop? How bad is the crop? It, it seems like when when I talk to people, um, and, and I've said this before, when I talk to farmers about the markets, it seems like their their main point of, of discussion when it comes to market direction is, is the size of the crop. And if the crop is smaller, then that means the markets have to go up. And if the crop's bigger, that means they should go down. Um, that's part of it, but it's not the only part of it. I mean, we're, we're, this is supply and demand. Um, it just seems like the farmer in general, and this isn't everybody, but just focuses a little bit too much on on the uh, supply side, and, and that was a little off off topic uh, tangent there, just in general. But so I would say that in, in the bull case, that would be my first argument. I would say, you know what, this crop is just not what we thought it was a month ago or six weeks ago, and uh, even these these. Uh, pre-report trade estimates, I think they're too big. And, you know, Iowa's got big problems. There's other areas with big problems. Um, that's one of my bull arguments. The second one would be export sales. So it's it's a demand argument. So I went through the, the supply argument, and that's the supply argument, is that the crop isn't necessarily quite as big as we thought. Um, I would go to export sales, and I would say, you know what, we've got the best book of uh, export sales since since the ethanol era began, essentially, um, China has been buying very, very aggressively. Um, we are competitively priced, and uh, we've got a really good thing going here with export sales. And and all of that is true. All of that is true. We've got a very good looking uh, book of export sales. It's it's either the best on record or the best since 1996. I don't have that 1996 data, but uh, in any case, it's it's very, very good. Um, that would be probably my my second argument. I would say, you know what, the export sales are are great, and ultimately they they should come to fruition. They should be delivered, and that would be part of my bull argument. Um, to go along with that, I would say uh, maybe my third point would be feed demand. I would say, you know what, this cheap corn and and these big livestock numbers we've got, uh, feed demand should be very very good, and uh, that's a, another bull argument. Is that feed demand an, another big portion of the corn demand base is very very good. Um, and, and it will probably continue to be that way as long as we've got these big livestock numbers and as long as corn uh, is cheap and cash corn is, is cheap, relatively speaking, relative to what we've seen uh, the last several years. Um, you could talk about the world situation, the global situation. You could say, you know what, U.S. corn is kind of like the only game in town here for a little while, and uh, we're very competitive, and uh, we may continue to be competitive. Um, you could probably talk about China in that same deal with the exports. I mean, China's responsible for, I think, 45 or 46% of those export sales. But talk about how there's been a shortage of corn or a looming shortage of corn in China. And whether or not that's true is a debate. There's a lot of debate about um, what China actually has in terms of corn stocks. But I, I would definitely bring up China in my bull argument. If I was defending the bull case here, I'd say, you know what, China, it's, it's, it's pretty obvious based on the fact that they're selling all of their corn that they auction off. They're importing these huge amounts um, or they're, they're planning on importing these huge amounts from the United States. That's, that's a bull argument to go along with that export thing. 
Uh, the other thing that I would maybe point to would be the seasonals in the corn market. And I did, I think, an entire episode on the idea that perhaps this could be a contra-seasonal second half of the year in the corn market. You know, we never had our, our good spring rally like we typically do. As a matter of fact, we probably saw our biggest sell-off of the year in the spring. So I look at the seasonals and I'd say, you know what? We never had our seasonal rally. These things tend to average out over the course of a year. Um I think that there could be a seasonal, uh, a contra seasonal rally rather in the second half of the year. And it may have already started. Maybe it started in early August. It's continued now into uh, the early part of September. And, and maybe that's something that you can hang your head on as a, as a bull in the market is that, uh, the first half of the year wasn't seasonal. And I don't think the second half of the year is going to be seasonal either. Uh, that would be part of, of my bull argument, I think. Uh, maybe the last thing I would talk about here in my bull argument would be the funds and uh, the fact that fund traders uh, have not been heavily long the corn market yet this year. And I've, I've, I've thrown this statistic out there uh, many, many times. Every year since modern record keeping began in 2006, funds have taken uh, during every calendar year a minimum net long position of 115,000 contracts. That's the minimum. I believe in 2017, the uh, biggest that the long ever got was 115,000. But in most other years, it goes up to 150 or 200 at, at least. So I would maybe make that argument and say, you know what, every year, um, bearish fundamentals or not bearish fundamentals, there's, the funds have found a reason to go long 115,000 contracts or more. And they haven't come close to that yet in 2020. And if history repeats itself, it's going to happen before the end of the year. That would maybe be Another bull argument that I would have, I would look at the fund data and I would say, here's the bull argument. Um, look at the fund data. They, they haven't taken this big long this year uh, like they do every other year. And it hasn't happened yet. So maybe it will happen uh, in the second half of the year. Now, maybe in the last quarter of the year. But um, that would be an, another bull argument that I would have. And keep in mind here, this this first part of this is just me. I'm the lawyer for the bull cause. And and these those points that I just mentioned, uh, that would be my defense. Um, I think the last one that I would throw in here, and I didn't write this down, but I'm looking at the dollar trade right now. I would talk about inflation a little bit. Um, there's a lot of people talking about inflation. Uh, the government's printing all this money, uh, the dollar's softening up in general, although we're higher today. Um, I, I would talk about inflation and the possibility for inflation in some of these commodities. Uh, that would be another point that I would bring in that we, we haven't really seen that uh, in the corn market or in some of these grain markets and that it's a possibility and that inflation, if, if, anything, if anything, would be kind of a friendly item for the corn. All right, now I'm going to put my bear hat on um, and I'm going to defend the bear cause. Uh, and I have actually fewer points, I think, but maybe um, to keep this fair, I, I'd say I have better points maybe as a bear. And I'll, and I'll tell you why at the end. Um, I wrote uh, this word down. This is my first point, And I wrote it down in all capital letters, ethanol. Ethanol would be my first bear argument. Um, so in the old crop marketing year, uh, when you look at the balance sheets and, and what was projected before COVID and what we ended up with after COVID, we probably lost 550 to 600 million bushels worth of corn demand in the old crop marketing year. And then when you look at the new crop marketing year, USDA is projecting that we'll use 5.2 billion bushels of corn for ethanol. That number would be 5.5 or 5.6 uh, if it wasn't for COVID. So we've we've you can make the argument that we we over these two marketing years may eventually lose a billion bushels in corn demand. So if COVID never happened, 
if COVID never happened and we didn't lose that, uh, uh, certainly five or 600 million and, and it's, it's going to be something for the new crop marketing year. I don't know how big it's going to be. You could make the argument either way, but we've lost a tremendous amount of demand. And if we never had COVID and ethanol production continued as normal, I believe you would have a much, much, much different looking corn market. It would have been different dating back to February or March when the, when that big sell-off occurred. Um, you wouldn't be looking at a two and a half billion bushel carryout. You might be looking at at a one and a half to two billion bushel carryout, which would be a much more friendly situation. Certainly, I mean, I don't know if it's runaway bull market territory, but it's probably territory that would have at some point in time put your decent corn price up to four and a quarter, like we like we have pretty much every other year for the most part. Um, you would have had that chance if there was no COVID, but because of COVID, because it killed our demand from ethanol, because like I said, it it may end up in a overall demand reduction over two marketing years of of a billion bushels. I mean, that's without a doubt in my mind, that is the biggest bear item. And and it's tough to, to argue against it. It's tough to argue against it because not only is it the biggest segment of your demand base, you lost such a huge portion of demand uh, from it. It's It's really... Uh, pretty crazy when you think about it, and we haven't talked about that as much recently because there's been a lot of focus on the on the size of the crop and and the size of the crop being reduced in these export sales. But this ethanol thing, I mean, you want to talk about bearish things in the corn market? That is the bearish thing in the corn market. The next thing that I'd probably talk about would be the balance sheets, and and you know I I even said that in the bull cause I said well look at this thing it's a little bit friendlier than it was a while ago, but still when you look at the balance sheets in the grand scheme of things. Two and a half billion bushel corn carryout. That's what we're kind of eyeing right now. That's not bearish. Stocks to use ratio is going to be real high relative to what we've seen the last uh, several years. So, I mean, grand scheme of things, uh, as, as far as the U.S. is concerned, I just don't see it. And and you could make the argument on the other side and you could say, you know what, the global balance sheets have tightened up and and uh, they're, they're getting a little bit tighter here over the course of the years. And maybe that's true, but... Um, Keep in mind, the majority of the corn that we produce here in the U.S., we use here in the U.S. It's not a big export market or as big of an export market as, say, soybeans are. So um, I, I would probably look at those U.S. Uh, balance sheets and I'd say, you know what, this is just despite the fact that that we've got some crop issues potentially, despite the fact that the carryout's not going to be quite as big as what we thought, it's, it's still not a real friendly situation. I mean, you're still going to have, um, again, stocks to use ratio somewhere in that, you know, like 15 to 20% range, depending on how demand shakes out. That's just not a bullish situation um, overall. Next thing I would bring up would be Brazil and South America. Um, we've got some major, major competition there. And these farmers down there can make money. They're very profitable. They've got prices that are essentially record high. They've got all the uh, incentive in the world to plant big acreage, to really expand production. And uh, it's going to be tough to compete with them. It really is going to be tough to compete with them. And and there will be a point in time again where uh, where the U.S. has a tough time on the export marketing kind of struggles. And, you know, there's there's a lot of big buyers like China in particular. Um, they've got that freight advantage to some of your key buyers. So I, I would certainly bring up, bring up Brazil and South America. And in that same breath, I would bring up the currency situation when it comes to uh, the U.S. dollar versus Brazil. And I would say, you know what, even though this U.S. dollar relative to, say, the euro is is kind of soft, um, when it comes to, to the U.S. dollar versus Brazil, the dollar is still very, very strong, and we've got a big competitive disadvantage there. Um, 
I know I mentioned the funds in the bull argument, but in the bear argument, I, I would say this. I would say, you know what? Look at what the funds did. The funds just covered their entire short position and December corn futures are $3.59. I mean, if that's not um, kind of a letdown and kind of a bearish item, I don't know what is. You know, we we thought at one point in time that if we saw a short covering event and the funds covered all their shorts, that that would maybe be our marketing opportunity. But you look at it now and it's really not there. You're just, you're not to profitable levels in, uh, in this 2020 corn crop for the vast majority of farmers, despite the fact that the funds have covered all of their short position and were net long the corn market as of last Tuesday. So, so I, I would say that my bear argument there would be that, you know what, given what's just happened, the funds covered all of their short, this is a poor action in the market. This is very disappointing. It, it's not a positive sign would probably be my argument when it comes to the funds. Now, so I gave you my bull argument. I gave you my bear argument. I guess you can decide uh, which one you think is is better necessarily. What I'll say about trading and, and markets in general is that it's it's so much about what is already priced into the market, what's already been discounted into the market. Um, it's it's been said of commodity markets that there's really no such thing as fresh news that that everything's already kind of baked into the cake, and that's not totally true because like a USDA report can throw you some fresh news, or there can be um, a headline like a trade related headline or something along those lines. But in general, uh, most of of what is known already and all the things I discussed are all known facts factors have been priced into the market. So it's it's almost a, a case of what's next for the market, what's the next piece of, of of information to change rather than the points that I just gave you. But in any case, I, I figured I would run through this exercise here um, just for my own good, if, if, if nothing else, to kind of tell you what the bull points are, what are the bear points, how do they compare, what's the general situation. And I think you're left with, with certainly some decent-looking bullish arguments. I mean, you talk about the crop damage, you talk about a lighter crop, you talk about really good demand via exports and feed, but I think that this ethanol thing is is the thing when I look at all my points combined I think that this ethanol thing might be the biggest one that sticks out to me because it it ties back to a lot of the other ones like the balance sheets and um the fact that export demand is so good you know I don't know if export demand would be that great if if ethanol was normal and prices were higher so a lot of what's going on ties back to ethanol and all that demand loss and if I had to make one point that's the biggest point here it would be ethanol and the bearish ethanol story and covid and how it all ties back together i hope this was somewhat useful to you i figured i would just kind of run through some of the the corn market fundamentals here uh kind of just give you the lay of the land if if nothing else what what the bulls are thinking what the bears are thinking and how they kind of balance out remember if you do need some help with your grain marketing go to my website it's www.standardgrain.com uh click on grain marketing plan and check out that subscription service 49 bucks a month I'll send you my morning email. It goes out at 630 central, uh, every business day. I'll get you on my text message service and, uh, I'll let you know exactly what I'm doing. Corn, soybeans, wheat, when am I pricing them for what crop year, what percentage? And uh, we keep a detailed uh, tracker at the bottom of those emails every single day that tells you where our sales are, where my sales are, um, what date we did them, what price we did them, what percentage. And uh, it, it accumulates over the marketing year until we're totally done. And uh, we start making sales a year or two in advance in some cases. So if you're looking for some help, if you're looking for some ideas, uh, maybe more of a simplified approach, certainly 
definitely check that out. It's 49 bucks a month. Cancel it at any time. You don't have to be a trader. Uh, no futures or options required. Um, you can just be a cash grain marketer. Totally fine. Love to hear from you. If you have questions, uh, shoot me an email to info at standardgrain.com. Hey, everyone, have a great uh, shortened week, and uh, we'll talk to you later in the week.